This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Starting today, um, a series that I'm calling After We Fall Asleep. And uh, to begin with, on, on the less serious side, let me share some interesting facts about sleep. Parents of newborn babies, and Chad and Chelsea, you can probably testify to this, parents of newborn babies lose six months' worth of sleep in the first two years of their child's life. Moms, can you say amen to that? And some dads can as well. And then for those of you who take naps, how many of you like to take just a good old nap? got a lot of nap people. You need your beauty rest. But NASA says the perfect length nap is 26 minutes long. I haven't even started snoring in 26 minutes. Studies also say that people who procrastinate, any procrastinators here, just be honest, okay? All right, got some procrastinators here, are more likely to have problems with sleep. Hmm. And then A very interesting fact, it is illegal to lie down and fall asleep wearing your shoes in the state of North Dakota. Uh, And and I got this off the internet, so if the internet says it, you know it's true. Uh, There are more car accidents on the Monday after the spring forward daylight savings clock change due to being sleep deprived. That's what they say. Snails can sleep for three years, and I think that could be said about teenagers as well. Amen, parents? On a little bit more serious note, one of the things that happens when we fall asleep is that our brain begins to process and sort and store information from the day, and and evidently what it does is it consolidates what happened during the day and actually files it away for later use. So the challenge, I guess, is if you're needing the information from the previous day, it's there You just have to go to the right file in your brain. And then when you sleep, your body, in a sense, they say becomes somewhat paralyzed, but you've all, we've all experienced that. But before we fully fall asleep and become paralyzed, sleep experts say that the body will at times react to a dream. You know, you have a dream and you're falling from a cliff or 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 you've tripped, you're falling from from, from a a sky or or, or something like that. But... um, Experts say that what happens is there is a jerk, and that's actually called a hypnagogic jerk. That's your word for today, hypnagogic. And, and you know, we've all felt silly. We're just starting to fall asleep, and we jerk like that. That is that hypnagogic jerk right before the body becomes paralyzed. Another fact for the day. Um, something else you need to know is that many people think that if something goes wrong in the house uh, at night, like a fire or a gas leak, they'll, they'll wake up because of the smell. But a study done at Brown University found that our sense of smell actually turns off when we sleep. So don't rely on your sense of smell to save you. One more fact, a percentage of us, and thankfully a fairly small percentage of us, Sleepwalk. How many of you have sleepwalked uh, in your life? Wow, there are several of you that actually have sleepwalked. And um, so sleepwalking, formerly known as somnambulism, there's another word for you, for your vocabulary, but it's a, it's a di- disorder. So those of you that have sleepwalked, you have a disorder. And it results in walking or, or performing other complex behaviors while asleep. So there are a lot of uh, 
physiological, psychological processes that are taking place during your sleep, we don't even realize it. But having said all of that, this series that we're calling After We Fall Asleep has nothing to do with falling asleep physically, like some of you will probably do in the next five minutes. And by the way, I don't mind if you fall asleep during the service, just don't snore, okay? It really bothers me whenever you're snoring, and, and we've had that happen here. But, but the series is not about falling asleep physically. Rather, nearly 40 times the Bible refers to death and dying as falling asleep. And so the last couple of weeks, as I've been praying, God, what's our post-Easter plan for the study of, of, of your word? And, and I felt the leading to begin a message series on what happens after we take our last breath, what happens after our heart ceases to beat. Now, I realize that the greatest majority of sermons you hear in this church and other churches deal with this life on earth, how to come to Christ, how to be a better Christian, how to live a godly life, and rightly so. I think we need to put the lion's share of our focus on those things in this life that prepares for eternity. But on occasion, I believe the church needs to hear messages on what happens after death. Otherwise, as is very evident in our society, we will end up with a warped, theology regarding the afterlife. And so over the next two, three weeks, I'm not sure yet, we'll be looking at several things. We'll be looking at the matter of heaven. Is heaven for real? Uh, we eat a piece of amazing dessert and say, man, that was heavenly. So is heaven like the momentary pleasure of eating a piece of chocolate dessert? I'm sorry, Jim, but it's got a generous amount of nuts throughout it and it's coated with a thick layer of whipped cream and has some chocolate shavings scattered on top. Is that like heaven? The early service said yes. But then another question is, is hell for real? And of course, the lesson whenever we get to that won't be for anybody in our community because everybody in this community, they go to heaven when they die. But, but for those of you that are listening on the live stream in another state or are listening on the radio, uh, it's, it's, it's for you. And, and really, I say that tongue-in-cheek because if you listen to the way that we talk, um, what do we say? We say, well, so-and-so is in a better place regardless of how much of a scoundrel they were or a rascal. But is hell for real? Is it a literal place? You know, people say, well, man, my day was hell. Or my tooth hurts like hell. So is hell just kind of like having a bad day? Or having a bad toothache? Or, or is hell, you know, if you read the Bible, it describes hell as a place of weeping, wailing, gnashing your teeth. So whenever the Bible talks about it that way, is that just kind of figurative speech? Is that just trying to scare us? And don't worry, on that Sunday, and I'm not going to announce ahead of time when that's going to be, because otherwise you'll skip out on it, but on that Sunday, we're not going to hellfire and brimstone you to the altar. But hell is a sobering topic, and, and, and I feel we need to find out what the Bible says about hell. And then we'll see how we get along in our series, and I don't have this all fleshed out, but we may even take a Sunday and talk about some common questions such as, 
Hey, my dog was my best friend for 20 years, but he died, and so will he be in heaven with me? Is there, is there a special dog heaven, cat heaven? Well, for cats... Okay, I won't say it. But if there is a dog heaven, a cat heaven, is there a dog hell and a cat hell? And, and what determines it? We may deal with a few questions like that at the end of our series, depending how we get along. Now, if you're wondering why we would do a series like this, here's the reason. You might want to write this down. What you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live your life on earth. Let me say that again. What you believe about death and eternity will determine how you live your life on earth. Which makes me wonder if one of the reasons our world is so messed up is because we do not have a clear understanding of what happens after death. In fact, do you know what seems to be the determining factor in our society of uh, our understanding of death and the afterlife? Two words. I think. Someone will say, well, this is what I think. And some, no, 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 this is what I think. Well, I don't agree with you. This is what I think. And so we have staked, listen, we've staked our entire eternity forever on the words, I think. And because of this, I think stuff, listen to some of the common views on death and eternity. For example, our atheist friends believe that when you die, it's over, end of game, lights out. You cease to exist. They don't believe in God, so they don't believe in eternity. And when you die, they believe you just turn to dirt and begin pushing up daisies. Other people, when it comes to death, they believe in a place called purgatory. Purgatory for them is kind of like a holding tank. Where you stay until your loved ones pray you out. I'd be afraid my, my loved ones wouldn't pray me out. Other people believe that at death, we will all become angels. And they say, well, my loved one's now an angel singing in the angelic choir. How many of you have said that? And and I've said that. Or or people kind of just picture their loved one up in heaven as a little fat, naked baby angel riding on a fluffy white cloud playing a harp. (laughs) Uh, Don't get that image in your mind, okay? Other people, when it comes to death, they believe in reincarnation. You know, think if you've been really good, you're going to come back as a higher form of life, maybe a rich person. Or if you've been really bad, you'll come back as a chigger or a tick or a mosquito or a mouse. Or if you've been really bad, you come back as a cat. So because of the many different crazy views on death, we need to dive into the Bible And see what it says. Because again, what you believe about death and eternity will help determine how you live on earth. So let's begin with just a very basic study. Everything I say today you know is just a reminder. And for a few moments, let's talk about what the Bible calls falling asleep or what we call death. What do we know about death? And, And don't worry, this is not going to be overly morbid. But as we look at death, the first thing... I point out is that death is certain. They, they say two things are certain, death and taxes, but you can cheat your way out of taxes. You can't cheat your way out of death. Yes, Elijah and Enoch in the Old Testament avoided death. God just took them, but you probably better not count on that for you or for me. 
Unless, of course, the rapture of the church takes place while you're still alive and the committed followers of Jesus bypass death. But otherwise, you're going to die. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as a man is destined, destined to die once. Now, when it comes to dying, you may die from one of many different diseases. In fact, last week I read, it's interesting, they've identified over 100,000 different diseases. So, if you want to die from a disease, you've got a lot of different choices. But then if you're super healthy, you may just die from old age. I, I also read last week, you might have seen the news report that the, the oldest person in the world, a lady in Japan, died at the ripe old age of 119 this past week. You may die in an accident. You know, just as diseases, there are a thousand different ways you could accidentally die. You may have heard of the 56-year-old lady that tragically died in the state of Pennsylvania. She was putting some bags of clothing in one of those clothing donation bins for Salvation Army or some other similar organization, and she was standing on a little stool. She got her arm caught in that drop box. I guess the, the stool collapsed or tipped over and got her arm wedged in there. She was hanging, couldn't get out. It was in the wintertime. She hung there for six hours before someone found her. She died of trauma and hypothermia. And death is never a laughing matter. I mean, in, in our church, we have some people that are hurting because of recently losing a loved one. So this is not a laughing matter. But down through the years, I'll admit, people have died in some very, um, in, in accidents that were very bizarre. For example, I read of, of convicted murder, Michael Anderson Godwin. He was incarcerated at a Columbia, South Carolina correctional facility, and this was in 1989. And he was scheduled to be executed by electrocution in the electric chair, but his death sentence was overturned on appeal. Well, one day, not too long after that, he was attempting to repair a set of earphones that were connected to his television. While he was doing that, he just decided to sit down on the steel toilet there in his prison cell while he was working on them, just seated there, he evidently touched a bare wire on his earphone. And this same prisoner who, was initially, who initially escaped electrocution in the electric chair was electrocuted to death on that toilet. Another bizarre death took place in 2013. A man was fatally crushed by a cow that fell through the roof of his home. I guess the roof must have gone up to the hillside and the cow just wandered there, came through and crushed a person. In 1919, this was very bizarre. A large molasses storage tank in Boston burst. A wave of molasses rushed through the street. It killed 21 people and injured 150. In 2011, a lady in Russia suffered a heart attack and was mistakenly pronounced dead, but she happened to wake up in the casket during her own funeral. She was able to raise the lid of the casket, and when she did, she realized this was her funeral which caused her to suffer another heart attack, and this time she stayed dead for good. In 1567, a man named Hans, who was mayor of a town in Austria, died when he tripped over his own beard. His beard was about four and a half feet long. He normally kept it rolled up so it wouldn't get in the way, but on this day, I guess he was letting his hair down. He was letting his beard down. Big mistake. He tripped and died. A Toronto lawyer fell to his death when he threw himself against a window in the 24th, 24th floor of a downtown skyscraper. He was trying to demonstrate to visitors that the glass was unbreakable, but it wasn't. 
1911, an Englishman named Bobby Leach was, on, was the second one to survive going over the Niagara Falls in a barrel, but ironically, he would die when he slipped on an orange peel while on vacation in New Zealand. The fall caused a broken leg that became infected, became full of gangrene. He didn't survive that. He survived going over the falls in a barrel. So there are a thousand different ways that you might die. But the fact is, you will die. Well, what happens after death? Well, continuing this verse in Hebrews 9-11, just as man is destined to die once and after that face, face the judgment, so you die and, and catch it, at some point there will be a judgment. And what happens for you personally, what happens for me personally at the judgment, depends on what we did with Christ in our lifetime. That's the key. What did we do with Christ? Listen to the rest of our scripture, verse 20. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. God so loved the world, he sent his only son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin. Now, do you understand the significance? A lot of people, they just rush over that. What's the significance that he was born of a virgin? Why is that detail important? Because of that Jesus did not inherit the sin nature of an earthly dad, so he was sinless, and because of that detail, he was able to take our sin upon himself. You see that? If he would have been born with an earthly dad, he would have had sin. He couldn't have taken our sin. We would have been doomed eternally. Because he was sinless. He took our sin upon himself. And, um, you know, praise God because of that. We can have eternal life. And scripture says that anyone, no matter what they've done, no matter how messed up they are, anyone, this is for you. This is for you if you're watching. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Yes, thank God for his salvation. And let me just, as a short aside, if there's anybody here this morning or anybody that's watching or listening on the radio, if there's anybody that has yet to call on the name Jesus and be saved from their sins, I pray that by the end of the service today, you will have done that. Well, something else basic about death is that death causes the soul and the body to separate. Now, you know this. You go to funerals. You're not your body. Um, th this is just the skin. This is not the real me. The, this body is a house for the real me, but it's not the real me. At, at death, you know, the, the, the skin, the flesh just kind of comes off, but the real me continues to live on. Again, you know that, Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. So at your physical death, your family will be making preparations for your funeral. The ladies of the church will be working hard on the meal to serve all of your relatives. The pastor will be trying to find some nice things to say about you without having to lie. And at the service, the obituary will be read and it will say, so-and-so passed away on such-and-such such a date. But understand, you, you will be very much alive. And again, you know all of that. I did hear a funny that happened at a funeral and uh, I, I think I told this maybe a few years ago. The minister was twenty-three year old, uh, was a twenty-three year old rookie pastor, and it was just his first funeral, and he was nervous. And 
things actually went pretty well until he got to the very end and he got to the part, you know, the graveside where the pastors say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And they don't say that nearly as much now, but, but, but he said that and all of a sudden his mind went blank and he was saying, think, 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 what, what comes after that? Because he was winging it. He thought that, you know, he could, he could remember it. And, and uh, so he decided to lighten up the moment a bit and he said, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I hope this coffin doesn't rust. And, um, you, you know, you, you thought maybe a little bit humorous, but the family did not, they were not amused one bit. They did not smile. They smiled about as much as the body in the casket smiled at that moment. But the reality is that the body will die. The soul lives on. And Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me and will never perish. Back to the judgment. To be brought into a court of law, and some of you, you've had that done, and have the judge or the jury issue the verdict for or against you, it's pretty intimidating. But the thought of coming before Almighty God and being judged by Him is very sobering. I remember the first time in a sense, that I went through a day of judgment at this church. You know, before you called us to be your pastors a lot of years ago, you asked me to come and you wanted me to do that, you know, trial sermon thingy, you know, where I had to preach on a Sunday morning and, and then afterwards you would give me the thumbs up or give me the thumbs down. And, and, and let me just say, if you've never had to do a trial sermon, you're probably going to live 10 years longer than the rest of us that had to do that. Uh, and, and honestly, I don't know of a better way. I don't want to be critical. I don't know how else you can decide if a pastor is the right fit or not. Um, but I wish somebody would come up with a better way. And, and here, here's some rationale, because the minister on trial, or, or, or the minister that's being judged by the congregation, you know, up or down, um, you know, he might be a singles hitter, or even strike out a lot, but on the day of the trial sermon, maybe something unusual happens, and he's preaching, he gets lucky, hits it out of the park, and, and the church is impressed. They say, wow, he is awesome. And they vote him in, but then the next week they see he's really a dud, and he strikes out. And, or it can work the other way. Maybe the minister doing the trial sermon is pretty good, but he just has a bad day. You know, we can all have a bad day. And, and the church thinks, you know, this guy isn't even big enough to be, he's not good enough to be in the, in the major leagues. He's not even in the minor leagues. So they vote him down, even though he was normally pretty good. But anyway, 28 years ago, 20, 29, something, something like that, it was a long time ago, and I remember that day. And it was, um, and, and luckily the church at that time only had one service, only had to speak one time, and, but I did my best, and it came time for the church to vote yay or nay, and, but then the church decided to, and I'm not being critical of the church leadership at all, but they decided to throw in a wrinkle here, and they decided to run two other ministers alongside of me. Now, the other two guys didn't have to do the trial sermon, which I thought was a bit unfair, uh, but anyway, there were, there were three of us at that judgment day, and, and the bylaws of, of this church state that you have to get two-thirds majority of the vote to be elected as lead pastor. Well, the other two ministers, they were strong candidates, and way, way better than I'll ever be, and so it was, was going to be tough for anybody to get two-thirds majority, and, and whenever it came time for the vote, and they tallied the votes, nobody, nobody got two-thirds majority. And, and so when I heard about it, it was like, man, I was trying to be a, a, a big boy, and, and I, was, I was young back then, but 
and, and I knew that if it wasn't God's will, if it wasn't the people's will, then I certainly didn't need to be at this church. But, but I'll admit, as big of a boy as I tried to be, it stung because on the day of judgment at this church, I felt like I had come up short. Well, the church ended up dropping the person with the least votes, and then the church voted again and kind of reminded me of the way they vote in a new pope, except they didn't have smoke coming out of the chimney. Uh, but, but, but they tallied the votes the second time, and honestly, I don't know how it happened. Probably voter fraud or illegals voted, but the second vote did throw us over the two-thirds majority, and I don't know if I got the popular vote or just the electoral college. But the Eldorado Springs Church of God Holiness issued us a call. But again, as minor as that was, that judgment day was tough. Infinitely more serious than any pastoral election will be that day when the great court will go into session and the judge will walk in and instead of hearing the bailiff say, all rise, the Bible says that every knee shall bow. And that judge will open the books. The truth will come out. It will be judgment day. Now, when it comes to the judgment, um, scholars have many differing opinions. And we probably, even in this building, we won't all agree. And that's okay. But let me tell you what many Bible scholars believe. They believe that there will be two different judgments. One is known as the great white throne judgment. They believe that this will take place after the 1,000 years of peace called the millennium. Now, the question that we want to try to answer is, who will be at the great white throne judgment? Well, again, many scholars feel that only non-believers will be at this judgment. Let's read a little bit about it in Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. Why, it calls, why it's called great white throne judgment. And I saw the one who was sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. The books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to the things written in the books. Books, according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead in it, and death and the grave gave up the dead in them. They were all judged according to their deeds, and death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So just a few observations at that great white throne judgment. It says there will be dead people. It says, I saw the dead, great and small. And most people don't believe that these are all of the dead people that have died down through the ages. Rather, they believe that these are the unbelieving dead. Second observation in the scripture, we see that there will be books. It names the book of life, and, but it also says books, plural. And so there are some other unnamed books. And, and it says that if our name is not in the book of life, then we will be judged by our works, by our deeds. Now, let's let's talk about that a minute. Are any of us good enough by our works to qualify for heaven? Any of us good enough by our works? Yes or no? Can, Can you be good enough to make it to heaven? No. 
Ephesians 2 says, we're saved, what? By grace, through faith in Jesus, not by our works. So, if your name is not written in the book of life, and and you are judged by your works, and since your works cannot gain you entrance into heaven, then it seems that your works at this judgment will probably determine the degree of suffering in hell. And scholars from this scripture, they, they do seem to believe that God is talking about that in hell, there will be certain degrees of suffering. And, and verse 15 is one of the most, could I just say, poignant, powerful scriptures in the Bible. It, it says that if your name is not found written in the book of life, then you will be thrown into the lake of fire. And let me just stop here. If you read the book of Psalms, um, 71 different times as you're reading the book of Psalms, you will see a little word. It's S-E-L-A-H. Anybody remember seeing this? And and some people say Selah, others, I've heard it pronounced Selah. And what this word means is time out, pause, Weigh what is being said. And I wonder if where it says that if our name is not in the Lamb's book of life, in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire, that there shouldn't have been a sailor or a sila right here. Just stop and think about it. Now, Again, this judgment does not take place immediately after someone dies. Rather, it takes place after the millennium. Millennium is a thousand-year period of peace. And so why? Question is why. Why doesn't God immediately judge a person when they die? Here's my opinion. It's just an opinion. Take it or leave it. But I believe this judgment is delayed because people's deeds have not yet fully ripened. Let me give just a really crude illustration here. You know, those people who are responsible for the pornography industry. Can you imagine how many people the playboy or the pornography empire has led into filth? And led them into filth, and then they have corrupted others that live to corrupt others, that will live to corrupt others and others. And, and you see, during this time... Those that began this industry, their sin against humanity is collecting interest. It's the same way for us as parents. If, if we do not live godly lives and, and we choose to raise our children in an atmosphere of sin and drunkenness and foul language and hypocrisy, many times those sins will be passed down from generation to generation to generation and their sin against their children and then their grandchildren and then their great-grandchildren it's collecting interest so god cannot pronounce a final judgment until he puts the final period upon the final sentence upon the final paragraph upon the final page upon the final chapter upon the final book of history Now, there's a lot more I could say about that, but just remember that as sure as I'm standing here, every unsaved person will stand before God to be judged. No technicality will excuse them. You will be judged fairly. O.J. will get a fair trial. 
And Elvis is alive today, somewhere, whatever that has to do with anything. Now, the second judgment mentioned in Scripture is known as the judgment seat of Christ. So we've gone from the great white throne judgment to the judgment seat of Christ. And and most scholars believe that this will take place right after the rapture of the church. Let's read about it in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. So why do you condemn another Christian? Why do you look down on another Christian? Remember, each of us will stand personally before, here it is, the judgment seat of God. So you're talking about Christians here. That's the context. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will have to give a personal account to God. So by the context here, it appears that the judgment seat of Christ is for believers. And and, and your eternal destiny, my eternal destiny, is not decided at the judgment seat of Christ. Our eternal destiny was determined when we responded to the grace and the work of Jesus on earth. But the judgment seat of Christ is the place to see whether or not you're worthy of rewards in heaven. Uh, So let's... um, someone said this, our heavenly reservation is secured by Christ's work for us. Our heavenly rewards will be determined by our work for Christ. So let's look at the judgment seat of Christ. The Greek word for for the judgment seat is is the word bema, B-E-M-A. It's a rich word. It's got a lot of historical background. It was commonly used in the Greek Olympic Games at the end of the competition. Whoever won would take a, a step up on, on the platform, and this platform was called the Bema. And, and the judge would come over, and the competitor that had won would bow down, and the judge would then place the olive crown upon the winner's head, standing on the Bema. And that, in a sense, is what will be going on at the judgment seat of Christ. Saved believers who have had their sins washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus will meet at this judgment. Christ will judge their works, not for entrance into heaven. You can't get there by works. But they will be judged to see what rewards they deserve. So let me just try to walk you through what might happen. Imagine that you, as a person who has been saved, your sins have been forgiven, you're washed again in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are at the bema, you're at the judgment seat of Christ. You come before God and you can't help it, you just bow down, you fall on your face before Him. And He says, son or daughter, stand up. And maybe He will embrace you and smile with that look of love and say, well done, my child. And then he might say something like this, I have a reward for you. And, and I have a feeling there, there will be dozens, maybe hundreds, thousands of different crowns and rewards that he will hand out. You know, the, the Bible mentions five crowns. The crown of life, the crown of rejoicing, uh, crown of glory, a couple more incorruptible crown. We won't go into them. But maybe as he says, I have a reward for you, because you were faithful and, and you, you did such and such to me. And, and, you, and you try to think back and say, God, God I, I, I'm sorry. I don't remember doing that for you or to you. And, and he will say, don't you remember what my word says? My word says that what you did for the least of these, you did to me. And maybe he will say, do you remember that time? It was a Saturday and, 
you were so busy and so stressed and trying to get stuff done, and, but you felt that you should go over and help someone clean their house or mow their yard, and, and, and Jesus might say, you know what? That was me. You were doing it to me. And maybe to someone else, God will say, do you remember that time when, when people were gossiping about someone and you couldn't take it, and so you took a couple of steps forward to those who were doing the talking, and, and in a kind but firm, firm voice you said, that's enough. That's enough. That's not true. That's not true about that individual. Do, do you remember doing that? Jesus might say, that was me. Maybe to someone else, he might say, do you remember the time when you began to realize that so-and-so had no friends, and even though you might not have had much in common with them, but you got to know them and spent time with them, Jesus might say, me again and then maybe he would ask you to kneel as he put a crown upon your head and said well done good and faithful servant and so at the judgment seat of Christ here's the bottom line one day you who are believers your works or your lack thereof will be judged and and many of you many of you can I say it again many of you You're going to be blown away because you are some of the most amazing servants on earth. You're generous. You're selfless. You volunteer your time. You will be rewarded. You didn't do it for rewards, but you will receive them. But there's also an interesting scripture that might describe some of us. And I wish I would have had smarter people like Pastor Painter come up here and and, and talk about this because I'll just be straight up with you. I haven't quite figured out all of the aspects of the scripture, but let me read it and I'll try to make an application. Hopefully it's, it's accurate. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, it says, For no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Now, anyone who builds on that foundation may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But there's going to come a time of testing. So listen, a time of testing at the judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. So, so our work is going to be tested. You know what you spent so much time doing? All of your energy, it's going to be put through a test to see if it keeps its value or if it just burns up. Verse 14, if the work survives the fire, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builders themselves will be saved. Now, this is the part I haven't quite gotten my mind around, but I think I understand it. The builders themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall of flames. What does this mean? And by the way, we could spend another hour on these verses here. So rich. Uh, But maybe a quick glimpse into this verse is that there may be some of us that placed our trust in Christ years ago. But we were selfish. We didn't serve. We benefited from his salvation, but we spent most of our energies just making money, pampering ourselves, having fun. We never seemed to have time to serve the body of Christ. Yeah, we prayed the prayer. We received Christ. We went to church. We didn't serve. We didn't volunteer. We never took time out of our schedule to help our neighbor. We we never took time to go see someone that was sick. On that day, 
I believe this verse indicates that we will be filled with regret because we will get to heaven, but as this verse says, only as one escaping the flames, kind of just picture, just barely making it by the skin of your teeth. Now understand it's not a salvation by works, but it's a salvation that leads to works, and, and those works will determine our reward at the judgment seat of Christ. You say, Pastor, Suppose you don't have every detail right. Let me tell you a secret. I probably don't. God didn't ask me to be on the planning committee. He just invited me as a guest. And I've sent in my RSVP. I told him to reserve a place for me at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to be there. And by God's grace, I plan to be there. Cycling back to what I said at the beginning, the way we live our lives now will determine where we will spend eternity. So as we just kind of kick off this series with a general study on what happens after we sleep, here's what I want to just challenge you to do, all of us here today. Could we maybe just ask God to search our hearts and take this moment, this time to just throw ourselves before God and say, God, you know, I'm doing my best, but there may be some things in my life that are not pleasing to you. Could we just, as we pray to wrap things up this morning, could we just say, God, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you come and do something within me that, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm ready. And, but not just selfishly being ready myself. I want to make sure that I take someone else with me. So as I pray, could you just, there where you are, just open your heart to God and say, God, come into my life. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Transform me. Make me a new creature in Christ Jesus. And the good news is that he will. Just bow our heads as we pray. Maybe before we pray, is there somebody that would just lift a hand and say, God, uh, Joe, God has really spoken to me right now. And would you just pray for me? Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand. Anybody else? God has really spoken to me. Pray for me. Lord, I thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit is working today. I pray that, God, right now you would just do something that's uh, uh, something that would just solidify our standing with you. Oh, God, I pray that for those that might have sin in their lives, I pray that there would be forgiveness granted and then God, that they would have the power to live lives that are righteous and holy. Lord, we don't understand everything that's going to happen after we fall asleep, after we, after we die. Lord, I, I may be totally off, but Father, the way I understand Scripture, this is what I believe may happen. And, but Father, I just pray that even though we don't need to worry about this, and Father, that we would study. There is a blessing in the book of Revelation for those who, who study this and But Lord, I pray that we would just focus on living 
a life that's right with you because the way we live our lives today just kind of determines where we will spend eternity. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to live righteous lives, that we would be examples to our kids, our grandkids, Father, that there would be no hypocrisy, that we would just live lives that are pleasing to you. So, God, as we delve into this next week, I I pray, God, that you would just help me in my prep time, my study time, that you would direct my thoughts and direct me to your word. And, Lord, that you would just prepare our hearts, that we would be in a place where uh, we can receive your, your word. Again, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being so merciful to us. Thank you for the fact that we don't have to say I think about everything. Lord, we have some absolutes in your word. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.